Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, Kaya. Uh, it's good to see you all. Uh, bear with me. I'm trying. I can't even flip to the page I'm supposed to be on. Um, I, if we haven't met yet, uh, my name's Romeo. Uh, I've been a member of Kaya here for a couple years. Uh, I grew up here in Kansas City, uh, born and raised. And uh, hey, Alex. <laughs> um, and uh, man, uh, I, you know, believed the Bible, was raised Jewish. And uh, my senior year of high school, uh, God in his grace found me at the right place in the right time. Uh, to pour out his grace over my life and completely change its direction. And a lot of that um, I owe um, to this ministry and the people in this room. And so um, I can't even make it through the introduction. It's supposed to be smooth and personal. And um, I just look at Alex and um, I just think about it. Um, I'm just so thankful. Um, this place is my home and uh, you all are my family uh, in Christ. And uh, bear with me. Um, because we've got uh, a long way to go um, and a short time to get there. Um, so if you have your Bible, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, um, we'll be in the book of 1 Timothy, the first chapter, um, verses 12 through 17. Um, as you're turning there, uh, for just a bit of context, um, 1 Timothy is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul, uh, the great apostle and church planner of the first century. Um, and he's writing to his son in the faith named Timothy, uh, who he discipled and trained up. Um, and at some point in their missionary journeys, uh, God saw fit to lead uh, Paul to leave Timothy behind uh, at the church in Ephesus and to be its pastor. Um, and First Timothy arises from the fact that, uh, well, ministry is tough. Um, and Timothy needed a letter from his father in the faith to encourage him. Uh, to provoke him to deeper faith and to give him some guidance on how to run the church. And 1 Timothy, in this passage, we see Paul gives Timothy this incredible pattern from his life. Um, and so let's go ahead and read the text before we get into it. 1 Timothy, starting in chapter 1, verse 12, and it says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, and so if you look at verse 16 again for a second, you get the, the, the theme for our passage this morning where Paul says, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That word pattern means an example, a form, a figure, or a model. 
Jesus Christ, in his mercy and in his long-suffering in the life of Paul, has given us a pattern for what our lives should look like, what we should be modeled after. And it's worth noting that this pattern is not just for missionaries. It's not just for pastors and teachers. It's a pattern for, uh, to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, if you are born again, believer, this is a pattern for us in our lives. And in this text, God will reveal his will for the life of every Christian. And what we're going to find out is that this great pattern, this theme in our text is um, when we live our lives solely by the grace of God, it will work out to the glory of God through all of eternity. And that's an amazing privilege. We have been chosen to steward this, our, our lives that we have been given through the gospel to make an impact that gives glory to the king forever and ever. Um, and so that is the theme for our text this morning. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pray um, because I just I need to pray. Um, so Heavenly Father, uh, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you. Uh, for Brandon and the, the sermon uh, in main service. And um, God, we're just blessed uh, to have him uh, as our pastor. And um, God, I'm, I'm humbled to, to just fill in for him. Um, and so God, I just pray that you would take me out of the way. Um, God, there's, um, there's nothing in me. Um, there's no strength in me to, to preach this sermon. Um, there's no worthiness in me to, to, to deserve to do that. Um, but you and your grace... Um, have allowed this. And so, uh, God, just for your mercy's sake and for your mercy on this people, would you please um, just help me to preach in your spirit? Um, And God, would you help us to just learn from your word in a way that uh, we can apply it to our lives and and glorify you? Um, And so I thank you uh, and I praise you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, so let's dive right in. Uh, to the first section of our text in in verses 12 through 16. Here we'll see our pattern, our pattern from the life of Paul. And the great theme in this section of the passage is the grace of God, the grace of God. And as we dive into this pattern, Paul starts in verse 12 uh, by demonstrating the great power that he had in ministry due to the grace of God. His power in ministry was grace. He says in verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Uh, We're going to see three things in this verse concerning Paul's power. The first is that he was enabled by grace. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. That word enabled, this is the only time it occurs in the entire Bible. Um, But luckily, we get a clue from the King James translators who and several other occasions translated it as strengthened. He was strengthened by Christ Jesus. The fact that he has been enabled implies his inability to do the ministry without the grace of God. It's like the story of Samson in the Old Testament. Um, if, if you'll recall, Samson was this, he's like the chosen one. His midichlorian count is like off the charts. And, uh, you know, people are like, this guy is like Superman. Um, he's going to save us and be our deliverer, uh, but he sucks. Um, and uh, he gives away his weakness to this woman. Um, and then, you know, while at one time he was enabled uh, and had this great power in his ministry as a judge in Israel, uh, at the same time when he lost the grace of God over his life, 
He was completely disabled, uh, unable to do anything in the hands of his enemies, and was delivered, binded and blinded uh, into, the, into the clutches of the enemy. Um, and that's the way Paul evaluated his power in ministry. He says, I'm enabled by Christ. I have no ability in and of myself. Um, and, and that's the kind of power that Paul had in his ministry. Um, and it's the same for us. Um, and we don't just see that. We see also that Paul was evaluated by grace. Number two, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful. Now, Paul doesn't say, you know, because he was faithful. He didn't say, I'm in the ministry because I am a faithful guy, although that was certainly true of his character. Um, God, in his grace, does not require our perfection or excellence. He counts us faithful, even when we don't deserve it. Um, this doesn't mean that God ignores our character or, or, or looks past uh, our sin, um, because he certainly proves out our faithfulness over time and, and, and wouldn't dare uh, to entrust his ministry to, to someone who is you know, blatantly unholy and would bring great blame on the ministry. Um, but it does mean that when God counts us faithful, it's no credit to our goodness but his. It's no credit to our faithfulness but his. Um, and when I think about this concept of, of being evaluated by grace, um, the best illustration I could come up with uh, is my wife. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, I asked her permission, so she's, she's getting roped into this. Um, now, Becca, she's just the sweetest person um, you could ever meet in your entire life. Um, she's really clean. She smells great. Uh, she's beautiful. She's tidy. Uh, her cooking has uh, grown me out of my extra small H&M shirts. We couldn't find... <laughs> We couldn't find a shirt for me this morning. We tried like four. I'm going to have to throw out half my closet because it's just, I'm finally eating three meals a day um, and showering. Um, so, I mean, praise God. I mean, she's like the ideal wife. And then there's me. And uh, I just look in the mirror and I'm like, what, what did you do? <laughs> what have you done? Um, maybe it's just my insecurities. Um, but I can name a dozen reasons why. Um, you shouldn't have agreed to marry me. I mean, right up to the last minute, um, I totally have at every stage botched this thing up. Um, but Grace is literally her middle name. <laughs> her, her, her name is Rebecca Grace Cairo. <laughs> like, when she looks at me, there's something, um, there's something in her evaluation of me, I guess, that she sees things in me that I don't. Um, and that's just an incredible blessing in my life. Um, and I imagine it's much the same um, when the creator of the universe looks at a guy like me and um, allows me to be up here, you know? I, we don't deserve it. Um, we don't deserve it. We've been evaluated uh, not on the standard of our, grace, of our greatness, but by the standard of his grace. Um, and thirdly, we see in this verse... Um, I love you, Becca. Um, he says he was established by grace. His position in ministry, he, you know, he wasn't just enabled and evaluated according to God's grace. He was established because of God's grace. It says, Christ counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You know, he didn't put himself into the ministry. He didn't check all the boxes. You know, he didn't go off to Bible college and build out his resume and go looking for an open job somewhere in the high school ministry and work his way up the ladder. And, you know, he didn't do it that way. 
He says, Christ put me in the ministry. He did that, and it's by his grace. In Acts chapter 13, the reference isn't going to be on there, um, but you look at the account of how Paul became the Apostle Paul, the sent one of Christ Jesus, and it says in one verse, it says, you know, the church at Antioch, they looked at him, and the Holy Spirit led them to say, hey, Paul's called to a distinct work. Um, And so they laid their hands on him and sent him out. But then a couple verses later, it says, they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Well, what do you do with that? Um, Who did it? Was it the church at Antioch, or or was it the Holy Spirit? Um, Well, yes, both, and the answer is yes. Um, Paul was put into the ministry that he had as an apostle um, because of God's grace and leading in his life. Um, And when we put those three components together, it gives us a pattern for what it looks like to have great power in ministry. Only someone who uh, is conscious of the fact that they must be enabled and evaluated and engaged in the ministry by grace is able to access this kind of power that Paul experienced in his ministry. Um, look at 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. It'll be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 3 says, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. When we have God's power in ministry, we don't put our trust in ourselves. In fact, we don't think anything of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. He's made us able. Wow, when I do that, it makes me louder. And you hear the sniffles. That's just so gross. Um, I think it's my infirmity in the flesh is that I just can't stop crying and snotting up. Um, So if that's what the thorn God has given me, uh, sorry. Uh, It's gross. (laughs) Um, But our sufficiency is of God. He's made us able. And next look at 2 Corinthians 12. We looked at this in main service, but let's just read it again because it's so good. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Christ says to Paul, he said unto me, Paul speaking, uh, that Christ is speaking to him, um, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The sufficiency and the strength we need is found in our weakness. So that leads us to key point number one. Key point number one is this. We must confess our weakness to receive the strength of God. Key point number one says we must confess our weakness to receive the strength of God. Put another way, um, if I were to like Mark Trotterize this key point, uh, we must, I was like, um, I was so nervous and I just wanted to figure out how to preach. And so this, uh, this, um, this whole week, uh, Becca heard it. She's usually playing like Gilmore Girls, which is awesome. Uh, that's her, like, cleaning thing. My, like, uh, I'm not saying this because I'm more holy, um, but this is just how nerdy I am. I just, I just play Mark Trotter while I'm, like, I don't know, doing the dishes or something. His uh, recordings for the homiletics class. Is anyone else in here in the homiletics class this semester? Um, if you look at the bottom of the page, they actually have all of Mark Trotter's lectures, too. And you can actually listen through those, too. Um, and uh, 
why was I here? Um, I don't know. As I was reading this, uh, I was just always thinking about how Mark Trotter would put things and it was so practical. And so if he said it, he'd probably say it something like this. Um, you know, we must confess our weakness before the Lord in prayer on a daily basis and plead the strength and sufficiency of God's grace. We need to come to a place where every single morning we're getting up and in our prayer closet just confessing, um, God, we're weak. You know, we're infirm. Um, we're going to suffer reproach. And um, man, that's the place of strength. That's the place of sufficiency is recognizing our great need for God. Um, and if we don't come to that place, we won't have the strength that we need to minister. Um, and that's how God has worked in every age. You know, he wants to start a new nation. You know, it's the dispensation of promise and the patriarchs. And so he picks the, like, 70-year-old guy whose wife is barren. <laughs> like, he goes to that guy. Or, you know, he wants to free Israel from the Midianites. So where do you go? Well, he goes and finds the coward who's, like, hiding behind a wine press and then whittles down his army to, like, 300 guys who are, like, totally clueless and arms them with trumpets. Uh, you know, and then that's how he defeats the Midianites. Um, well, it's the same way here at Midtown Baptist Temple. God has put his eyes on us to show himself strong, not because we're great, not because we're good, not because we deserve it. I mean, he's picked us because we aren't, <laughs> like for his glory, that no one would boast. That's exactly what Brandon was preaching, has been preaching in the section of 1 Corinthians we're going through. He picked us because we're weak, because we're base, because we're not noble, and because we're nothing so that he can be a great something in us. Um, and unless we recognize that, we'll have no power in our ministry at all. No souls will be saved. No disciples will be made. We'll just turn our gears in ministry, uh, and this machine will just putter out a couple years from now. And so Paul warns, shows us a pattern of how to have the power of God in our ministry by his grace. But next in verse 13, in verse 13, he delves into how his placement into the ministry was only by the grace of God. You know, he didn't just receive power in spite of weakness. He was placed in ministry in spite of unworthiness. And God doesn't place us into the ministry because we're strong or because we want it or because we deserve it. It's the exact opposite. The pattern we see in Paul's life is that he was put into the ministry um, because God's grace, not because Paul's greatness, because of God's grace. Um, and you think about this guy, like Brandon was saying in the first, uh, in, in first service today, um, you know, this guy, he doesn't, in that first point, he didn't point to his education. He didn't say he ended up in ministry because he was a great Bible scholar. He didn't say it because of his, it was because of his excellence of speech or his eloquence. Um, his placement into the ministry was on the basis of grace. Um, and uh, it makes me remember, uh, you guys know in middle school, when in PE, uh, they do this just terribly, like, middle school is the most scathing experience there is. And uh, my parents decided to quit homeschooling me and, and just shove me into the sixth grade. Um, and I was, like, I was a year younger than everybody because when you're Jewish homeschooled, they really get you. Uh, and so I was a grade ahead. I, like, barely passed my exams to get in a grade ahead, but I don't know, there was some grace there. Uh, and they put me in the sixth grade, and I'm, I'm sitting there in gym class, and I've never been in a gymnasium my whole life, and then they just put you in these, okay, so um, I, I messed up when ordering the size of my shirt, um, and I got like an extra large shirt, and so I'm just sitting here, and I'm swimming in this like, 
gym t-shirt, and I'm so scrawny and shorter than everybody else. And then what, the, what do they do? They just line you up in front of everybody else, and then they grab some team captains and say, all right, you pick your teams. And then you just sit there and watch as all the like stronger and bigger and cooler guys get picked, and then you're like sitting there with your friends, and you're like, well, I guess which one of us losers is going to get scraped from the bottom of the barrel? <laughs> like, what, who are they going to pick now? Um, and then there's this terrible thing that happens. You like get to the uh, you get to the end of the thing, and you know sometimes you get really lucky, and like your loser friend gets picked. Yeah, we're, we were all losers. Okay, I'm not like degrading him, but we were all losers. And uh, he gets picked to be a captain, and then you're crossing your fingers like maybe I'll get like picked first because it feels good. Um, but then he does pick you, and you're like, you idiot, we're going to lose. <laughs> you're like, you had the whole draft in front of you. You could have picked Michael Jordan over there, uh, and you picked me. <laughs> like, what is the issue here? Um, and, you know, if, if you know, God operated by the wisdom of this world, um, he would pick, like, the best and the brightest people to put into the ministry. Um, but, you know, he just he sees everything, and he lines up all the great and godly men of Midtown Baptist Temple and he whispers in Brandon's ear and says, that guy should probably fill in for you on the 20th of February. Um, and I don't get that. Um, I'm just going to sniffle up here through the rest of these cross-references. But, um, you know, God in his grace, you know, just puts people into the ministry who don't deserve it. Our placement, if you are placed anywhere in the ministry, if he entrusts you with discipling kids in Kid Town or, you know, wiping the toilet for his glory, you don't deserve that. And that's the pattern we get here. Paul was placed in the ministry, number one, in spite of blaspheming against God. He says he put me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer. Um, that word blasphemy, um, it means to offend or spite or oppose God of very God. Um, you know, I grew up with the Ten Commandments hanging over my shoulder, uh, you know, just looming over my head. And it says, you know, don't take the name of God in vain. Like, don't you dare do that. So I get into middle school. I don't even talking about middle school again. Uh, people would like say like OMG or stuff like that. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like they're, uh, it's not good. Um, blasphemy is not good. Um, and, you know, before Paul was a soul winner or a disciple maker or a church planner, he was first and foremost a blasphemer. And God picked him and put him in the ministry. His testimony in Acts is this. Acts 26.9 says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. When he put together his to-do list in the morning, he says, I got to do everything I possibly can to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He deliberately blasphemed against God. The guy who mocked and condemned the name of Jesus would be the same guy who preached and praised his name above all names, the name of Jesus. And not only this, but he was also chosen, number two, in spite of persecuting God's people. Can you, like, mute me for a second? I'm going to just go crazy with this issue. Okay. Are you laughing because they did me dirty? <laughs> did not catch that? Amanda, did you get that off the stream? Did you catch it? Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay. Um, this point's really serious, so stop. St stop smiling. Uh, this point's really sad. Um, number two, in spite of persecuting God's people, he says he put me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. All right? So listen to his testimony in Galatians chapter 1. 
It says, for ye have heard of my conversation or his lifestyle, his, his way of life in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation. Like, he persecuted Christians, and then they just praised him for it and promoted him. They said, good job, man. Um, and he was being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. He says, you know what? I am doing my forefathers a service by just gathering all these Christians and putting them in prison. And that was his mindset. He was picked in spite of blaspheming God and persecuting his people. Like, do you see the irony in that? The greatest church planter in all of history was the greatest church persecutor in all of history. And so as this text continues to unfold, we find that this blasphemer and this persecutor was put into the ministry, number three, in spite of injuring others. He says, he put me into the ministry who was before injurious. Um, just listen to the Acts 26 continue on. Um, Acts 26 says, Which things I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. He didn't just do it himself. He, he, he gathered people up and told them to do it. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them unto strange cities. I mean, can you imagine the kind of regret and guilt that would wash over someone who, whose past is like this? Paul invaded people's homes, took them from their families, dragged them through the streets in chains, threw them into prison to rot in Roman jail cells when they were publicly executed and their blood was spilled in the streets. It was with his thumbs up. He placed them out, you know, he dragged them out into their synagogues and tortured them and compelled them to renounce Jesus. He describes himself as exceedingly mad, driven into a total outrage. That last phrase, persecuted them even under strange cities, means that when those Christians fled for their lives as refugees, he made it his mission to hunt them down. But brothers and sisters, remember, this testimony is a pattern for us. Just like Paul, when we were lost in our sin, we were blasphemers. Everything we did contradicted God and his holy character. We're all sinners. You know, and even if we didn't know it, um, our, our sin, our blaspheming, our broken relationship with God wrecked complete havoc on the relationships we have with people, with our families and, and with our friends. We too were injurious. We hurt people. In the flesh, that's what we do. We've said things to people that cut them to the heart and, and leave them broken for days and weeks on end. We've done things to people, manipulated people, used people in ways that alter the whole course of their lives. And even in preaching this message and, and studying out this passage, I think about the things I've done. I think about Faces and, and names. It's just messed up. You know, Paul didn't deserve to be placed in ministry because he was just this jacked up persecutor. Who are we to be placed in any kind of ministry at all? We can only be placed in ministry by the grace of God. We don't deserve it. But there's a, a shining light in the midst of all of that. 
because he wasn't picked just because he was a persecutor or because he was a blasphemer or injured others. Um, if that was the whole story, it'd be really messed up. <laughs> like, it'd, it'd be terrible. Um, but luckily, number four, he was picked because of his ignorance and unbelief. He says, you know, um, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross when the crowds around him were blaspheming against him? When the leaders of Israel falsely accused and slandered and persecuted him? When the Roman soldiers beat him and mocked him and flayed him and gave him all sorts of injuries before nailing his hands and his feet to the cross? He looked at those people and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Our God is willing to shed mercy on the ignorant. We had no idea what we were doing to people. We had no idea what we were doing to God in his holy name. But he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're just ignorant and unbelief. I mean, look at what happened when Paul finally realized what, what he had done. Acts 9, and it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven while he was in his darkest place on his way to pursue those people to strange cities. A light came from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? He knew it was God, but he needed to know the name. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The pattern of Paul's life begins with the fact that there came a day when his ignorance was no longer an excuse, when his unbelief was no longer an excuse for what he was doing. When he saw the risen Christ, his entire world shattered in an instant, and he could do nothing but tremble and kneel in awe. And that same man whose name he blasphemed against, and for those same people that he persecuted, he says to him, Lord, what will you have me to do now? He repented and completely changed the direction of his life. That is the man who we have for our pattern in ministry. This is key point number two. We must comprehend our unworthiness to recognize the privilege of ministry. And that changes our mindset of all of these things, you know? When we're just rolling out of bed, we woke up a little late, you know, gotta go, to, gotta go serve in hospitality, you know. Got to go, uh, I don't know, what you pe- I'm not accusing the hospitality ministry of like being a bunch of ungrateful jerks. That's not true. Um, I'm just speaking in generalities here. If I'm, if I'm preaching to you, you know. But, you know, you know it's, it's up to your conscience. But, you know, it, it changes how we view ministry. You know, when we look at the opportunities we get to, to talk to people. You know, like Brandon was talking about, just talking to people after service is like, that's an incredible gift. That some person you don't know you got to walk up to them and be the person that helps turn their life around. 
Not because you're anything cool, but because the grace of God, by the grace of God, you've been empowered and put into the ministry. That's a wonderful thing. And we would do well to remember that. So that shows us Paul's power in ministry. Um, Becca, could you calculate the amount of time I have left? I forgot to start the timer, and I don't know when I'm supposed to be done. I wrote down like 20 minutes is where I'm supposed to be at. How much time does that mean I have? <laughs> does somebody know? 12.30 is when I'm done? I have 25. Oh, great. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Cool. I don't have to, like, cut out half the outline because it, it's getting good. It's better. I was, like, I was looking at this outline. And I was, like, if I chop off any of these verses, I'm just going to hate myself. Uh, this passage is awesome. Um, so next up, we see Paul's passion for the ministry. Um, he had great power. He was placed into the ministry by grace, and that produced a great passion in his ministry. Let's look at verse 14. It says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Here in this verse, we're going to see three more things. First is God's plentiful grace. God's grace aplenty. Paul is speaking in an incredible hyperbole here. He doesn't say, Uh, Yeah, and the grace of our Lord was sufficient. Even though we know that it is sufficient, I mean, it's just enough. You know, it's always enough to to cover our sins and put us in the ministry and give us power. But it's not just sufficient. He doesn't say it's just abundant. Like, if that were enough to know that we have God's grace in abundance, like more than enough, he says his grace was exceeding abundant. And don't just gloss over those words. His grace is plentiful. But Paul's passion also came from the fact of God's persistent faithfulness. He says there's faith in Christ Jesus. And that's not to say that Paul had this incredible faith in Christ, um, although that's certainly true. But the faith isn't in us, it's in Christ Jesus. It's his faithfulness. You know, too often we want to focus on our own. Well, our faith is often unfaithful. I'm going to wake up late tomorrow morning. And not have enough time to do my devotions. <laughs> like, it's just going to happen. If, if Becca doesn't roll me out of bed, I'm not going to have enough time to pray. And even if she does, I'm not going to be praying, like, on my knees. I'm going to, like, roll over and say, oh, I'll just, I'll just pray on my back. <laughs> I'll just close my eyes and say a prayer. She, uh, Becca grabbed my foot this morning. I was sleeping. And uh, she said, are you awake? you got to wake up. And I said, no, I'm praying. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like people should be able to tell you're praying. You shouldn't just be like lying around. Um, Anyway, like our faith is often unfaithful, right? We're nothing. But we serve the one who always is. He's never failed us and he never will. There's faith in Christ Jesus. And if that weren't enough, you know, call now and we'll add this to the deal. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, how about that? With an inc- what an incredible thing that for sinners, God has grace and faithfulness and love to offer us in abundance when we have nothing to offer him but weakness and unworthiness in return. What kind of deal is that? Only God in his wisdom could devise that kind of a system where people aren't rewarded for being great. You know, Shakespeare... Uh, He said, some men are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. Well, he missed a category um, because, you know, none of us are born great. 
We don't achieve anything great in our flesh. We have no greatness thrust upon us. We only have the grace of God on our lives. And that is the power and the passion that we get in ministry, is God's grace coming upon people unworthy and totally weak. That's what we get. And here he ends the sentence, but he continues the thought in the next verse. And I'm going to do it again, guys. I'm going to give you more like notification. I'm going to do it. I'm going to blow my nose. He says, thumbs up. Okay, here we go. I'm surprised Becca's, like, watching me do that. I'm, like, the nastiest person. I can't even chew, like, my food quietly. I started talking, but I wasn't done. Um, I'm sorry, Isai. That's not your fault. Um, Okay. Um, This verse is probably um, one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. I mean, there's just nothing like it. It says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You know, this saying is faithful. I don't know what kind of a season of life you're in or what you brought in with you this morning. This saying is a balm for the sorest wound. It's a tonic for our deepest pain. It's a ray of light in our darkest hour, and it is the greatest comfort for our sick hearts, and it's worthy of all acceptation. If you did nothing with this sermon but memorize this verse and live it for the rest of your life, job's done. It says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Here in this phrase, we have a complete summary of the gospel message which we have been entrusted with the good news that should be at the center of our passion in ministry. Maybe you came into here this morning and you're not a Christian and you don't understand why I'm sitting up here sniveling about God's grace. Well, let me, let me just, give me a moment to explain. First, we recognize that we are sinners. This verse says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that's who we are. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. We're all just blasphemers and injurious people. And we know it in our consciousness. But not just that. We are sinners in desperate need of salvation. Christ Jesus had to come into the world to save sinners. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. There's a warrant out for arrest from Almighty God. Carrying the penalty of death for our crimes against Him and against humanity. The wages of sin is death, and there's coming a day when all of our works will be brought into account, and standing before our creator and judge, we will be convicted and condemned eternally to a lake of fire, absent the salvation of Christ. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He had to come into it to save it. He had to come to this earth in the form of a man because it was only by coming to this world that he could offer up his perfect life as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. Romans 5 says, For when we were yet without strength, we're without strength, in due time, Christ came into the world. He died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die 
Yet peradventure for a good man, somebody even dare to die. I mean, he's saying that, you know, we were watching a cop movie, me and Becca, and cops are always like, um, it's like Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. Is that how you say his name? And they're like crying at like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's wedding, and he's like, I'd die for you, bro. I'd take a bullet for you, man. Um, and then you get to the end of the movie. I'm sorry, this isn't a joke. It's a really sad movie. Um, but, you know, they're always like, I'd die for you, bro. Um, and that's characteristic if you're like on the front lines of facing evil and, you know, your partner is like your best friend. Well, God died for us when we were his enemies. Like, he humbled himself and took a bullet for sinners and for the ungodly. He says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the penalty of death on himself. Much more than being now justified by his blood. He had to come into the world to spill his own blood on our behalf to purchase our salvation. We shall be saved from wrath through him. You know, after he came into this world and died for our salvation, he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead that we might call upon him and be saved. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is an incredible pivot that happens in this passage because in one verse you have a man who is a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, and he says he did it all ignorantly in unbelief, but there came a day when God confronted him with the reality of his sin. And look at the end of verse 16. If you are here and you are not born again, this is the call for you. Um, It says this pattern begins with this. This pattern is to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That is the call of salvation today. If you're a sinner and you know you've been, you are confronted today for the first time with the reality of your great sin against God, believe on him to life everlasting. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save you. And if you will believe on him, he will grant you life everlasting. We see this great reality applied to us in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You should just go through and circle all of those words. It's what we saw in 1 Timothy. When you put your faith in Christ, you are granted access to the riches of his mercy. The greatness of his love. The exceeding riches of his grace. That he would exchange our spiritual death and our sins for the quickening life in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, verse 8 of Ephesians 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the wonderful reality of the gospel. We're saved by grace. It's not something we earn for ourselves by our works. It's a free gift from God. Paul was a very religious man, and he was fully convinced that what he was doing was good and righteous, even when he was doing terrible evil and wicked things. And before we were saved, we were a lot like Paul. 
we don't recognize the grievousness of our sin. And so we never receive the grace of God. So if you're here this morning and you haven't experienced that, today is the day where you must believe on him to everlasting life. Notice there's one more reason. There's one more reason in this passage why Paul found great passion in ministry, and that's this, God's patient long-suffering. Verse 16 says, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're here and you're not saved, there's no reason to delay. God may have been waiting your entire life to find you in this moment for you to believe on him to life everlasting. And if you're here and you're a Christian, that's the great privilege you have when you walk out the door in the morning, is that there's someone out there that they've been waiting their entire lives to hear the gracious and good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And that's where we find great passion in ministry. Key point number three. Ministry dies where the passion of the cross is forgotten. How often do we remember the cross? How often do we meditate upon it, weep over it, let it fill every fiber of our beings? If we've lost that passion, um, you put passage and passion together, you get whatever. Uh, There's an incredible study uh, I'd like to recommend. I almost threw all the cross-references in here. Um, But as I was studying out this idea that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, um, man, anybody else have to write out the Gospel of Luke for LFBI? They got rid of that assignment. That assignment was awesome. Okay. Uh, That's Providence, because I probably need to take a drink. Um, How much time I got left? I don't know. (laughs) Um, um, You write that thing out, and you just go to Blue Letter Bible, and you just search the word sin or, like, sinners, and... It just unfolds before you the way that uh, Christ came to seek and to save that which is, lo- is lost. He's a great physician for sinners. He's the shepherd who goes and leaves the 99 for the one. He's the friend of sinners. And the promise of Revelation 3.20 um, is that he's knocking at your door. And if you'll just let him in, you know, the Pharisees, they accused him. They said, what are you doing? Just yucking it up with a bunch of sinners and the scum of society. And they called him a friend of sinners. And I think that accusation is the greatest title that could ever be attributed to the God of the Bible. He's a friend of sinners. And so that leads us finally to verse 17. Um, As we're wrapping up here, it's 12. Man, that's a good time to finish. Um, 12, we see in verse 17 the purpose of our ministry. And it centers around God's glory. Packed into this little verse, we get just a glimpse into the great glory of God and how it's related to his grace in our lives. And first, we'll see two vital attributes of Christ. The text says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Those two great attributes I want to point out are both his royalty and his deity. His royalty, he's the king He's our king like we were singing in main service. And he's not just any king. 
He's the king eternal. He's transcendent of time. He was there in the beginning and will be forevermore. He's not just the king eternal. He's immortal. He's victorious over death. Death could not hold him. He rose from the grave. And he's the king invisible. We will have all of eternity to get to know and love our Lord. But by the end of it that never comes, we will never know the fullness of it. He's invisible. He's beyond our comprehension. And if you want an example of just how invisible and incredible he is, look no further than his deity. How is it that the God of this universe can come into this world in the form of a man? It's beyond our comprehension, but it's true. And by the glory of God, it demonstrates how great a king and a God we serve. But because of these attributes of Christ, that gives us two vital applications as we close. Two vital applications. The text says, Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor forever and ever. So this is number one. Christ is our king, so we must honor him. There's a cool first mention here in Genesis 49 um, where I don't have it up there. I forgot. I didn't think I'd have time. Maybe I don't, but I, I'm just going to say it anyway. Um, he, um, where the first mention of honor is uh, Jacob um, standing before all of his sons, and he's on his deathbed, um, and he gives this evaluation of their lives, and um, it's a terrible day for some of Jacob's sons because for some of them, he just confronts their sin completely. Um, he exposes, uh, what's the oldest guy's name? Reuben? Reuben? He like slept with Jacob's wife. It was terrible. And on his deathbed, he confronts him. He says, I, I, I knew that happened. Um, but then you get to the next one. He gets to Simeon and Levi, and he describes their great sin uh, when they went into another city and just slew a bunch of people. Um, and that first mention of honor, he says, don't let my honor come anywhere near them. Don't put my honor anywhere near my son, Simeon and Levi. And that's what awaits us at the judgment seat if we do not honor our king. If we live our lives in a way that disgraces God Almighty, you know, there is great grace for us, but at the judgment seat, when we are evaluated for our entrance into the kingdom of God, at what level we will participate in that king, eternal, immortal, invisible, there will be some people where he must say, Take my honor away from them. We'll have nothing to do with our eternity and weep because we didn't honor him. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, that's our pattern, we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. You can say many things about Paul's sin, but he was honest about it. Not walking in craftiness, not manipulating his way around confronting it, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Some of us need to recognize today a point of applying this message is come forward as there are counselors available because there are some hidden things of dishonesty that for the honor of the king, you need to renounce with your brothers and sisters and come before him in prayer and confess our unworthiness, confess our weakness, and receive the power and the privilege that comes with ministry because we are willing to own up our sin and receive his grace. We need to honor our king. 
But we don't just need to honor our king. We must also glorify our God. He says, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This glory of God um, has to do with, it's an eternal glory forever and ever. And Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We contribute to the eternal glory of God when we surrender our lives to honoring him and glorifying him by surrendering to the mission. We need to honor him, and we must also glorify him. So when you think about God's grace in your life, the power that's available to us, the privilege that we have of doing it, and the passion that comes from understanding God's grace, some of us need to come forward during the altar call and just surrender to God and say, God, I don't deserve it. I'm too weak for it. But by your grace, I want to glorify you in a way that lasts through all of eternity. And it's the church that glorifies him. It's by winning souls, making disciples, planting churches that he is glorified forevermore. And that kingdom full of worship and praise is populated by the souls that we will win that are won by the disciples that we made in the churches that we planted by his grace. We need to honor him and glorify him. So as the worship team is coming forward, um, I just want to put that before you. Um, God has been so good to us in his grace. Amen? We have to come to the place in our lives where all we want is to honor him and glorify him. And if you know in your heart of hearts you haven't been ministering in the humility that comes with understanding God's grace, I would encourage you, come forward. There will be counselors uh, to meet with you. There are going to be the people around the room that are holding their Bibles like, uh, like this. Um, we're here for you. We're brothers and sisters. Um, and we want to um, join you in surrendering our lives to God and to living holy lives. Um, but also, if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Christ, God's patient long-suffering has brought you here. And he has a passionate love for you. He has plentiful grace for you. And he wants you to be in his eternal kingdom. So he came into this world to save you. And all you need to do is call upon him and believe on him to life everlasting. And he will receive you. He has a grace that is greater than all of our sin. Um, and, and we would do well to take hold of it by calling upon him as Lord and receiving him today. So Father, uh, God, uh, we love you. We are so grateful for your grace in our lives. We're so grateful that um, you want to be glorified in us, despite the fact that we have nothing to glorify you with but your grace, despite the fact that we are totally unworthy outside of your grace. Um, God, I believe that you want to use every single person in this room for the pattern of their lives to fall out to your glory by just surrendering and honoring and glorifying you by your grace. Um, so God, help us um, to just repent and receive you, um, to, to sup with us and to learn your grace anew um, and, to, and to know you. Um, God, we, we love you. Um, and if there's anyone here um, who doesn't know you um, and who hasn't received your grace, 
Um, God, I pray that you would make them bold to come forward um, or to talk to whoever brought them or, or, or whoever knows the gospel, um, that you would bring them to a place out of ignorance and unbelief and into believing on Christ to life everlasting. Um, I pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.